take City Ether here from the salubrious, nice, nice segue there, uh, <clears throat> from the most salubrious confines of uh, Los Feliz, most uh, enchanting cinematic experience, the Los Feliz 3, located conveniently in the hipster neighborhood in between Fred 62 and a bookstore, proving that we still have civilization here in Los Angeles. Uh, once again, we take to the uh, air, and tonight we're celebrating uh, our holiday classic, uh, 1972's uh, uh, picture uh, written by um, Anthony Schaffer, directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, in fact, his last picture, and starring the awesome Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier uh, Sleuth will be tonight's picture. Thank you for coming out. Uh, Jennifer, who cur uh, curates all these uh, movies, uh, curates the film club, is uh, my wife, for one thing, but also... Uh, we thought something might be fun for uh, after Thanksgiving and after the election. That might be a little bit of mindless entertainment. I don't know that mindless is the right word for sleuth. I'm not going to tell you a thing about the movie. How many people here haven't seen the movie before? Ah, so no. I shan't tell you a thing about the movie because this is a movie that has lots of secrets and uh, you don't want to know them beforehand. So I won't blow it for you in any way. Uh, but I will say this. Everyone that's in this movie was nominated for an Oscar. Did they win them? No. It was a big year. Uh, it was the year The Godfather won Best Picture, and uh, Cabaret won all the acting awards and whatnot, so uh, uh, it wasn't like that. But this picture takes place in England, um, and uh, I lived in England for some time. Why, Greg? Because I couldn't get work at home. And also, um, I like to go to a country where I'm considered, you know, the best-looking person. It's that simple. Here in L.A., you know, hey, buddy, Holly, you are so old. How come you're not dead? You know, but in England, oh, good God, look at him. He has all his teeth and his ears are in proportion to his head. Um, in the land of the uh, uh, shallow genetic pool, uh, this bespectacled man shall reign supreme. England is a lot of fun. Uh, if you're an alcoholic, it's the feel-good country of the year. Um, people in America drink to have fun. People in France drink to be social. Uh, people in England drink like someone is going to take it away from them. Uh, look, Nodge was thrown up on a statue. Nice one, Nodge. Uh, until I heard uh, that song uh, by Chumbawamba, I get knocked down and I get up again. I thought it was just a song until I went to England. Then I realized it was a hard-hitting documentary <laughs> on English drinking. Uh, you drink a whiskey drink, you drink a cider drink, you drink a vodka drink, you drink a lager drink, and then you carry on drinking all like that. English people aren't the most intimate people in the world. Um, they don't date, really. They go out in groups, and then they shag each other. They pair off and shag, and then they never speak of it again. And that's considered romance in England. And people um, in England don't call uh, the people that they love uh, their husband or their wife. They call them their partner, which I think really sums up the romance of England. Um, there's someone, I think you do business with your partner, or maybe you make a buddy movie with your partner. Um, you marry your partner? No, no, no. Please maintain your respectful silence. You're honoring each joke with a moment of silence, and I appreciate that about you. This is the show before the movie. Uh, if a lot of you maybe weren't aware of that and you just wandered in thinking Sleuth just casually plays in Los Feliz every fucking November. But oh, you were so very fucking wrong. I am here to guide you through the sleuthiness of this motion picture. Um, I toured England for years in the 90s. I lived there a long time ago, uh, for by your standards, uh, before when phones were gigantic and made your teeth ache, um, when Jamiroquai had a career. Uh, thank you. One person remembers Jamiroquai. He, uh, he wore a hat. Uh, in fact, in England, they called him, and this is what I love about England, the twat in the hat. And uh, his eyes were super close together. Um, that, that was what we had to contend with in England and Britpop. Um, uh, the, 
uh, Oasis was popular uh, and, and, and things like that. Yeah, so we had it hard. Um, things were difficult. Uh, they didn't have a Tory government. Uh, they still had a Labour government, which means um, Tony Blair was the Prime Minister then. Now, of course, England's had mm, 16, 17 Prime Ministers in the last couple of weeks. Uh, they change it now every couple of weeks. Uh, the, now, we know what, now they know what Italy feels like every year. You know, who won the election? Hey, somebody wins, somebody loses. It's a crazy time. You're gonna count the votes, you count some, you count another, you get a winner, boom! Uh, and they managed to um, put someone in office who no one in Britain voted for, of the 56 million people in Britain, um, who's richer than the royal family. Now, how do you find someone of infinite asshole proportions? I mean, we have Elon Musk, uh, and I didn't want him. I would send him back in a moment to whichever place he came from. The whole idea that, um, rich people are smarter or cooler or know anything about how the world works is such a um, load of old tosh, as they say. Um, you wouldn't let Elon Musk in your house if he came by. You really wouldn't. Even if he brought something, which he wouldn't. Because he thinks showing up with the weird toupee in the face that's been rearranged and all the money and shit. He sent a car into space. Listen, let me put it this way. If you had unlimited funding, what would you do? Maybe solve hunger? Maybe get some of the homeless people who live around here, who live down near the Fat Burger, maybe get them a crib or something? Elon Musk decided to send a car into space. And then, when the kids were trapped in the cave in Indonesia or whatever, um, he built a model of a robot that he was going to send there to use to get the kids out instead of actually getting the kids out. And then when the robot was too big, he called the guy who saved the kids a pedophile. I'm just giving you an idea of where billionaires are coming from. For instance, we've had some good news tonight. Hi, welcome to the show. Um, Karen Bass is the mayor of Los Angeles now, and I think we're all excited about that. Um, she's the first woman mayor of Los Angeles because LA, as you know, uh, leaping ahead in front of the whole country. Yeah, bounding ahead, uh, leaving other people with their petty bourgeois mores touted by their neck like an albatross while we vault into the 26th century. Um, she's also the second person that's not a white person that's been mayor of L.A. Um, the other person that was mayor of L.A. that was black, um, they named the terminal after at LAX. So uh, eventually, ignominy comes to all of us, no matter what the honor is. Thank you. Uh, uh, LAX is the airport that's near here. <laughs> and it's distinguished by being shittier than airports that are like in Decatur, Illinois and shit like that. Uh, um, the person running against um, Karen Bass was again another billionaire. And I've determined uh, over the last five years, uh, what with Orange 45 and his presence and uh, this Rick Caruso person, I used to think that arms dealers were the worst people on earth because they sold arms to you know, uh, different pseudo-nations and those pseudo-nations destroyed families and, and blew up children and whatnot. But I think now that the truth is we all know that real estate developers are the most evil people in the world. We let one be president and that didn't work out. Um, when COVID came along, he was like, fuck it. Um, and he let a zillion people die. And then he gave a speech last night where he went, I, you know, when I was president, the economy was booming. And it was like, I don't know if anyone remembers 2020 about this time of year. I don't think booming was the word I would have reached for here in Los Angeles. 
when you had to go to Trader Joe's wearing a hazmat outfit and a glove on your ass, I didn't really think that was a high point for all of us. Anyway, Rick Russo didn't win, even though he spent $100 million running to be mayor of L.A. Uh, if you were mayor for 400 years in L.A., you would not even make half that much money. So uh, you figure out how, again though, if it's good enough for Gwyneth Paltrow, Snoop Dogg, Katy Perry, and Kim Kardashian, it's good enough for me. Um, I look to them for the keen political insight that I want to bring to the voting booth. When I'm striding manfully into the voting booth, getting ready to exercise my constitutional rights that were fought and died for by countless generations and thousands and millions of black people and people were kept in bondage so that we could have these rights, I think to myself, what would someone rich who lives in Calabasas do? That's the first thing I think of. What if someone lived on a cul-de-sac and had a bed shaped like a race car? I wonder how they would vote. Um, I wouldn't ask Gwyneth Paltrow um, what yogurt to buy because she would most certainly give you a yogurt that would like kill your lower intestine and you'd have to get some sort of weird operation to have it removed or something. She sells candles that smell like her, how do I put this gently, essence. And I think that anyone who does that um, has let their ego run a little amok. Maybe I'm overstating the case a little bit here. There's not really like a Greg Proops pookie candle, you know what I'm saying? That's not going to happen in the near future. Mm. But there is a Gwyneth Paltrow, um, Paltrovian um, candle. Katy Perry I was disappointed by because she dressed like a superhero and she rode this weird cow into the Super Bowl a few years ago. And I thought anyone who does that's got to be liberal. And, right? And then she stumped for Hillary and whatnot. And then all of a sudden she's like, Rick Cruz is so cool. And it's like, mm-hmm. -mm. He, he gives off oil. You really feel like you need those blotting papers after you see Rick Caruso. And I don't know if anyone else's phone blew up with a billion texts and messages from... I had someone text me from Rick Caruso's campaign and go like, are you going to be voting for him? And I wrote back, when hell fucking freezes over, will I vote for them? And they wrote back, does that mean no? I'm not kidding. Pushy doesn't fucking begin. Um, in any case, uh, uh, so we had the good news there, and I just got back from the Midwest, where I've been for a week performing, uh, and when I tell you the Midwest, you're like, oh, really, the Midwest? Yeah. Um, Peoria, Joliet, Fort Wayne, Elkhart, and Kalamazoo. So yeah, I'm not fucking around when I say Midwest. I'm not like, oh, you know, Phoenix, <laughs> or Denver, or whatever. That's not the Midwest. Where I was was the Midwest. If it ends in an A and it isn't Spanish, it's the Midwest. Um, and you can get your fill of the Midwest in a big GD hurry. I'll tell you that much. I adore all the people there. I have nothing against their states. Um, I love the South. People go, oh, fuck Mississippi. Um, my family's from Mississippi, so fuck you. Um, really? Your family's from Mississippi? I didn't grow up there. I didn't go to school. Well, nobody goes to school there. But the point is this. <laughs> Um, uh, it, people, I don't know if you're aware of this, no one is from L.A., I mean, that I've ever met. Maybe like two people. And the two people that I met are from L.A., one is from Tustin. Thank you for laughing at Tustin. It's in Orange County. It's, I would say it's near Disneyland, but that would dignify it with too much excitement. It's near a car lot. 
Now, mind you, Orange County's changed. When uh, I first moved here, Orange County was like part of like Weimar Germany. It was sort of like where they make the virulently Nazi cars. That's what Orange County was like. And now demographics have broken it up. They have, you know, they have liberal Congress people and a couple of, couple of uh, liberals working around down there. And it's, it's changed quite a bit. They carried Hillary Clinton. So I don't know how much more Orange County could change in my lifetime since they were goose-stepping when Reagan was president. Um, and uh, everyone has come here from another place to Los Angeles to seek their fortune and to labor under the misapprehension that somehow um, show business is going to single you out and make you happy. Um, thank you to people. Everyone else is like, it's going to happen. No, it's fucking not going to happen. I'm just here to tell you, but it's cool to dream. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, and this is something that people never tell you when you're in L.A. Um, people are from the Midwest. For real, I mean it. There's people from the Midwest in this room. They're hiding amongst us. But I can see them, like Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live. I have special glasses that allow me to see who is from the Midwest. People always want to tell me where they're from, and I have no interest whatsoever. I feel like you're here now, you landed in it, you made the California choice, good for you. But they always want to tell you. I'll be standing there, innocently, biding my time, counting the saints. And someone will walk up to me and go, Greg, I'm from Buttermilk, Indiana. And I'm always like, well, that's unfortunate. But here we are, so good for you, hooray. But where I'm from sucks. That's why no one's here, okay? That's why you moved here. Let's get that out of the way right away. No one has ever, in the history of the United States, moved from California to Indiana. I think you'll find historically that's never happened. You don't go to Fort Wayne and find a neighborhood with like a rainbow flag and a coffee shop and a marijuana dispensary. No, there's a giant billboard with a, a fetus waving at you balefully that's angry about being aborted. And then there's, a, you know, like a picture of Jesus gazing down on you. But where I'm from, look, where you're from blows, okay? That's why you moved to Los Angeles. You need to blend in here. What you need to do is start an online zine, Join a Wiccan collective, celebrate Beltane, get a piercing, get a tattoo, go to the corner, take a bong hit, open up your computer, and pretend to write a screenplay like every other asshole in this town. Then only you're cool. But where I come from, we have Jesus. We don't have Jesus here in LA. That's why we live here, okay? Our Jesus is a Jewish guy that works at Paramount. And you have to osculate his man bag to get what you want in this lifetime. He's all that's standing between you and the pink and perfect portals of perfection. But where I come from blows. Look, if you come from a place where the goal of everyday life is to, well, look, blend in, move to Los Feliz, don't wear a shirt, just wear a leather vest and carry an iguana on your shoulder. <laughs> then the iguana can substitute for your Indiana personality and people will think you're fascinating. Did you see the iguana guy? I did. Isn't he riveting? Ah. I think the iguana's doing a lot of the heavy lifting on this one. When your entire goal is to grow so large that you have to be lifted by a crane from your double-wide trailer and put into a piano case upon the moment of your demise, when your entire goal is to grow so enormous that you replace the bison that once roamed that area, you need to checkity-check yourself before you wreckity-wreck yourself, is all I'm saying. Somehow you've piddled away. Evidently, a lot of pride for the Midwest here 
that I hadn't really counted on when I started talking about it tonight. Didn't realize you were so protective of it. Believe me, it's still thriving. There's white people there wearing baseball hats in public at dinner and shit. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. It's still happening all the time. Here in Los Feliz, people come to the show, they wear masks and whatnot and t-shirts and hipster clothes. In the Midwest, people come to the show in their pajamas with giant baseball hats on. And they don't wear masks because COVID doesn't exist and never really happened. That was something we thought of to make them feel bad about themselves. Like, you know, okra and stuff or whatever. So this picture takes place in England, as I say, and Joseph Mankiewicz uh, directed it. And Joseph Mankiewicz directed many good pictures, including um, All About Eve, which is one of the most superb movies you'll ever see, uh, not just about theater, but about um, all of show business, and uh, particularly insightful about women. And Anthony Schaffer wrote this. Anthony Schaffer is one of those annoying English people who was quite clever and wrote a lot of important mysteries. Um, he wrote Frenzy for Hitchcock, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen Hitchcock's Frenzy. It's in color, and it's one of the pervier Hitchcock movies. And Hitchcock's kind of pervy to begin with, but it's real pervy. And uh, Anthony Schaffer wrote that. Why is he annoying? Because he had a twin brother who was a playwright. So he was a screenwriter, and his twin brother, Peter, was a playwright. And Peter wrote Equus and uh, Amadeus, which also became motion pictures. Now, I don't know what your brothers and sisters do. <laughs> My sister lives in Chino Valley, Arizona, and bitches a lot. My other cousins and whatnot uh, would never have time to watch a movie like Sleuth or write a screenplay because they're busy planning another attack on the Capitol. And people are all get upset. Oh my God, they attacked the Capitol and, you know, and they don't believe that you know, Biden won. And like, it's not everybody, you guys. It's not that many people. It's just my cousins <laughs> and your cousins and your uncle, the one who drives the white van around with no markings on it that's almost certainly full of knees and elbows. That uncle. Um, so I would love to have had a cousin that was a playwright well, I mean, a twin brother that was a playwright or an author, but that wasn't going to happen. Um, my, as I say, my relatives were quite busy um, collecting washing machines to put on their lawn. Um, and uh, all of the, whenever you talk to one of my relatives, uh, they always have a very frightening opening sentence. You know, you, you go, hey, how are you doing? And they'll be like, um, uh, the restraining order got lifted and Dale flipped the truck. Why are people flipping trucks? Because this is what it's like in America. You don't see that many trucks flipping here in Los Angeles. Instead, we have a sport where everybody gathers on the corners and people make their car go in a circle real fast. And then the cops come and don't do anything because that's what the cops do in LA. The cops have two jobs in LA, to shoot innocent people and to not do anything are their two most important jobs. Now we've got a new sheriff, which would be nice. The other sheriff that's leaving said that there was no gangs within the sheriff's department. I'm afraid to even talk about this. I'll be honest. There might be a fucking junior deputy sheriff in this crowd tonight who's come on an intellectual foray to see what we're doing over here in Las Feliz. 
I saw the movie Sleuth and I thought they're solving a crime over there. I've come all the way from Simi Valley. Put a stop to that shit. Laurence Olivier is in this movie. And when I was young, back in the 30s, he was considered the greatest actor in the world. Um, I'm not certain why he had that reputation. He's certainly a, an effective actor, um, and, and not, if not a fine actor. Uh, I think that Laurence Olivier's greatest roles are later in the 70s when he got to play creeps and bad guys. For instance, um, he's in a version of King Lear with Diana Rigg as Reagan. I don't know if you've ever seen King Lear, it's Shakespeare. And he is a, a rat fink of the king, and he ends up you know, in a tempest with his, with his uh, jester telling him what an asshole he is. And Lawrence Olivier was quite good in that. He's also in a movie called Marathon Man, where um, Nazis have taken all the diamonds from the Jews uh, not if you're Kanye, but I'm just saying, if you're, it, it, what really happened was uh, the Nazis took diamonds from the Jews during World War II, and then he turns out to be one of the horrible um, Nazis who experimented on Jews during the war, Laurence Olivier, and he never played roles like that. He was usually, you know, uh, Richard, the, well, Richard III, but he, he's a very bad, bad guy in it. But he doesn't drool or gibber or do any bad guy affectations. He plays it as calm as can be. And there's a scene when he pours the diamonds out from all the Jews that are dead on the table. And he goes, <laughs> and it's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. He giggles. Yeah, it's astonishing. So if you get a chance, <laughs> if, you, if, there, if you want a, a post-Holocaust mystery that really lives it up, I think the marathon man is for you. Later, of course, he was in The Boys from Brazil, which was another Nazi movie that had fantastically Gregory Peck as a Nazi. Now, Gregory Peck spent his entire career playing Atticus Finch and all these upstanding characters because Gregory Peck, I don't know if you remember, he had to fight the devil in The Omen. His son was the devil. And Gregory Peck's idea of fighting the devil was to raise one eyebrow and go, he's only a boy. And that was it. That was how he fought Satan. So in The Boys from Brazil, he's a Nazi, and he's like, Zig Heil. And you're like, what? It's just awesome. Very good movie. Um, Laurence Olivier made a movie called Inchon, which was about... <laughs> he plays General Douglas MacArthur. Now, I know a lot of you are like, who? But if you knew who General Douglas MacArthur was, he was one of America's great psychopaths. And... He was in Japan during World War II, and then he was in Korea during the Korean War. And they, they, Harry Truman removed him from duty and brought him back to the States because he thought he was, uh, mind you, he was getting a little out of control for World War II. <laughs> okay, so that'll give you the kind of notion of what General MacArthur was like. So when you think, well, who should play him? Clearly a British actor in his 70s. <laughs> so he made this picture. And um, say, people said to him, why did you make the movie Inchon, Lord Lawrence? Because he was a lord at that point. He wasn't just a sir, he was a lord. And he said, people ask me why I'm playing in this picture. The answer is the simple, money, dear boy. I'm like a vintage wine. You have to drink me quickly before I turn sour. I'm almost used up now, and I can feel the end coming. That's why I'm taking money now. I've got nothing to leave my family but the money I can make from films. Nothing is beneath me if it pays well. I've earned the right to damn well grab whatever I can get in the time I've got left. 
And that is a very pragmatic viewpoint on acting, ladies and gentlemen, and in show business in general. People get real huffy and they're like, I can't believe Samuel Jackson did a credit card ad. Um, I can't believe Samuel Jackson hasn't done more of them. Uh, do you want him to live as, uh, we went to see a Lou Reed exhibit in New York a couple of weeks ago, my wife and I, and I don't know if you remember Lou Reed, he was a poet and a rock star and a pedant and, a, and an educator and a, a junkie and all those things and a transgressive sexual uh, you know, deviate and a million things. And um, he was always on the edge of society. He was always on the underground. And then in the 80s, he made a Honda ad for a scooter. And you wouldn't believe how many people came down on Lou Reed. They were like, can't believe you fucking sold out. And his answer was, do you want me to live in a closet in New Jersey? <laughs> so I would get careful about the selling out thing. Um, in the movie Marathon Man, Dustin Hoffman plays opposite Lawrence Olivier. And um, he's playing a man who is running from the Nazis. So Dustin Hoffman, because he's a method actor, jumped up and down and didn't eat and messed his hair up and got really tired and did all these things to indicate what was happening in his role. And there's a very famous story, and I'm going to read it to you here in one line. Upon seeing Dustin Hoffman's method acting technique of not sleeping and making a mess of himself to get into character while shooting Marathon Man, Laurence Olivier said to him, dear boy, it's called acting. And he apparently said it to him a couple of different times. Uh, Michael Caine is uh, still around, and if you get a chance to see every Michael Caine movie, you ought to. Um, he made thousands of movies in the 80s. <laughs> and he himself said, I made them because I wanted money. Here's a good quote from him. Uh, what was it? Well, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll paraphrase it. He said, I haven't seen Jaws the Revenge, but I understand it's a very bad movie but I have seen the house that it bought and it's really terrific. <laughs> and Michael Caine is, um, if you, I, I would suggest the, uh, the Harry Palmer movies, Ipcris File and whatnot. Um, and of course, he made a remake of uh, The Quiet American, which uh, Joseph Mankiewicz made the original film of, uh, in the early 2000s. And Jennifer and I went to see him over at the, is it still the Arclight? You know the weird cult theater where they have the $18 popcorns or whatever? Bankrupt. What's it, bankrupt now? Yeah. Well, you remember the Arclight, where someone would come out before the movie and go, hi, if anything happens during the movie, I'll be in the back. And you're like, what's happening? <laughs> Are we being haunted? Mind you, it was a great theater. I always saw Crazy Rich Asians there, and uh, um, uh, Black Panther. It was a great, great place to see big movies. But um, he came, Michael Caine uh, came, to show The Quiet American. And The Quiet American came out in the end of, or the beginning of 2002. Its release date was September 11th, 2001. So they didn't really make a big go of it. So they re-released it. Philip Noyce directed it, The Australian. And um, Michael Caine was in it. And he's about 70 in it. And he's astonishing, if you ever get a chance to see it. And Brendan Fraser plays the American in it. I'm just recommending a couple Michael Caine movies. However, having said that, we all know that Michael Caine was in Jaws the Revenge and a lot of movies where he played ghosts and shit like that. He's in a lot of movies. And this is a Michael Caine story. And then we'll move on into our tonight's picture. I adored Frank Sinatra. He was such a generous man. He thought I was very funny. Well, he thought my accent was funny. And he always had this thing that I made too many movies. 
we'd meet and he'd go, hey, Mikey, how you doing? How many movies did you make today? And now I give you an awesome movie that Michael Caine made from 1972, directed by Joseph Mankiewicz, co-starring Lawrence Olivier, Sleuth. <laughs>